0: Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with a counselor from Mary Haven about gambling addiction. The Fan's Skip Mossack talks to former Buckeye Ryan Miller about his Second and Seven Foundation, which helps kids with reading. In the second half hour, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend looks at the two remaining candidates for governor heading toward November. The redistricting mess, the abortion debate, and the latest position for former state health director, Dr. Amy Acton. And I'll wrap up the hour with someone from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation talking about post-pandemic concerns from a health coverage perspective. First up on Columbus Perspective on the phone with me, Bruce Jones, who is the administrative coordinator of the gambling intervention program at Mary Haven. How are you? I'm fine, Dave. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for talking to us. In a nutshell, tell us what Mary Haven is.
1: Well, Mary Haven is... Uh... Central Ohio's oldest drug, alcohol, and mental health facility, Um, and I've found my specialty now working with problem gamblers.
0: And you've uh, been with Mary Haven for better than 20 years, I understand, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's hard to believe. (laughs) May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and folks who have needs uh, because of a gambling problem, this is a very serious issue.
1: Yes, it is, Um, and it's just getting you know it's so normalized in society that people when they do have a problem we want to get the word out that there is help available
0: when people do turn to you for help can you give us an idea of what might a typical situation be for someone
1: well um seeing how this is mental health awareness month i would just say that uh, very rarely do i get a, a just a pure gambler some i over the years i've, I've decided that you know gambling is a symptom of something else that's going on in their lives, whether it be depression or loneliness or uh, grief, pain, all these things that, you know, they find relief at the casinos or the racinos or the lottery that gives them a reward. Because when someone gambles, they get the, you know, the dopamine release and the serotonin, just like they do with the psychoactive drugs. So it does fulfill a, a need for them. But over time, it becomes problematic when the consequences become too great.
0: Is there a particular kind of gambling that seems to get its hooks into people more than others?
1: Well, yes. Um, I would definitely say the casino-style gambling. Like the, um, here in, in Central Ohio, we have the Hollywood and the Scioto Downs, which is a racino. It's a place to go. People feel welcomed, and you know, and they can play this machine or play with a group of people, and, you know, all of a sudden now they're having a relationship with something else that's keeping their attention, and they're not thinking about all the problems they have in their life. So it can become very problematic in a relatively short period of time, especially for middle-aged women for some reason. Mm. You know, say the children are adults now and out of the house, and, you know, they don't like their job, don't care much for their significant other. That you know uh, their debt, but when they go to the casino, they don't think anything about it. Uh, casino gambling, um, really. And t- before they opened up, the state did a survey to get a baseline study on how you know how prevalent gambling is in Ohio. And in 2012, they put a survey out, and it came back that 10 per- or 5 percent of the population was at risk of developing a gambling disorder. And then five years later, they did another survey, and the only thing that changed was they opened the casinos and racinos. That the results from 2017 was now now 10% of the population is at risk of developing a gambling disorder, mm. and that's you know doubled in five years. And it's been another five years. This year, the state will be putting out another survey. Uh, we'll have added fantasy sports. And they just legalize the sports betting, which doesn't go into effect until January of 23. But still, it's available. It's still accessible. Um, we'll see what how much it goes up again. But uh, they say sports betting is equal to, if not more, addictive than casino gambling.
0: It's going to be interesting because obviously when there's sports betting, that's something that you can do literally any time of the day and fr- right on the palm of your hand
1: correct and during the game you can bet on every play of every game <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's 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 going to be uh, i'm hope I, hopefully we will be prepared for it with enough staff and um you know people in the state to uh to help uh treat the the gambling the issues that are going to be coming down the pike
0: talking with Bruce Jones uh he is the administrative coordinator of the gambling intervention program with Mary Haven when you talk to somebody who is mired in this problem, can you get a sense in talking to them whether or not they're likely to get themselves out of this mess?
1: Oh, definitely. But, you know, by the time they've called me, they already know they have an issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we just offer the support and education and and treatment. Um, and if the p- persons are ready to quit completely, I'd refer them over for an additional support with the Gamblers Anonymous, which we're fortunate in Central Ohio, we have a meeting pretty much every day of the week. And since COVID, it's now pretty much available via the Zoom or or whatever worldwide.
2: So,
0: I'm curious about your uh, approach. You're a nationally certified gambling counselor, and I would imagine that the last thing in the world you want to do is beat up on these folks for what what has happened to them. You're you're trying to to figure out a, a, a way to Present this as a way out, right?
1: Oh, most definitely. They're they're beating themselves up already, right? <laughs> you know, we're trying to support and guide them along a different path and finding some other healthier activities to get involved with, and and you know, find the the crux of the matter whether we, during the assessment and the and the treatment, we can in the screenings we can see, you know, the timeline how it all evolved and when they became, you know, it became problematic. So we can make tweak it a little bit and move for change.
0: Talking with Bruce Jones, who's the administrative coordinator for the gambling intervention program at Merry Haven, when they talk about how they can't stop, what is it that's happening to them mentally? Why can't they stop?
1: Well, it's just like chemical addiction, you know, psychoactive drugs. It does over a period of time. Even though gambling is a behavioral disorder, um, it still has this, it still changes the neuropathways pathways in the brain. So they are addicted just like they would be if they were ingesting a, a toxin into their bodies. And especially with the gambler, when they start losing, and they start chasing their losses, is that's the dangerous part. That they don't. They, it's like a horse with blinders on they don't see any other way out of their situation except to keep gambling hmm. and the crux of the matter is if they stop the hemorrhaging of money everything can, you know will come about for the for the positive
0: what about for uh, those who are having this problem similar to say somebody with an opioid addiction who may turn to petty theft or something to try to you know, I don't know, just to try to stay afloat. I mean, it, it seems like it can bring out aspects of their personality that didn't exist before. It makes them a different person.
1: Oh, it definitely does, Dave. It's, uh, the game, in the Diagnostic Statistic Manual, in the fourth edition, they had uh, a criteria of, have you ever committed any illegal acts to get money for to, to uh, do your gambling or pay your debt? Uh, but when they fifth- edition of the uh, diagnostic statistic manual came out, they dropped that. But um, I still ask that question just because it shows the severity of the addiction. We've gone out and uh, presenting trainings to probation, federal, municipal, and, and common pleas courts, bankruptcy courts, just to get them educated about gambling and you know what people will do to keep their Ability to gamble because it's a hidden disorder. My friend Scott Anderson at the state, he always says, you know, you can't see gambling in someone's eyes, you can't smell lottery breath, and you don't see diamonds, clubs, spades, or hearts in a urine screen. Mm. But by the time people do come for help, you know, they've lost jobs, relationships, housing, money, payday loan, credit card, car to a title loan place. Suicide becomes a very viable option for this group of people it has the highest correlation of suicidal ideation than any other disorder. So that's kind of what got me working with this population. Wow. They say you cannot overdose on a behavioral disorder, but if you're considering taking your life, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's an overdose in my book. Right. But.
0: So are are these uh, a lot of them middle-aged then maybe who've been uh, dabbling in this and then it just uh, got out of control as they got older?
1: Oh, no, 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 not at all. No. Um we're seeing a lot more, well, through those surveys that the state did, in central Ohio, uh, uh, people 18 to 25-year-olds are the most at risk. Mm. Um, African-American males between at that age are the at most at risk. Then it goes to the seniors, then the Asian population, and then everyone else in, in the gamut. Here at Mary Haven, we have, you know, our caseloads, it's close to 50-50, men and women. Uh, but you, since the DSM came out and they put gambling disorder in the addictions section uh, with alcohol, cocaine, cannabis, opioids, instead of hypnotics, another diagnostic group came out with uh, the um, ICD-11 came out and they added two new behavioral disorders. One is sex disorder disorder and the other one is internet gaming disorder. So, your phones, you know, playing games, World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. uh, Fortnite, all these other games that Xbox or PlayStation puts out, they all have built into them these little loot boxes or treasure chests that people can land on and get a prize to help them, you know, progress in the game. But there's no guarantee you're going to get the prize you want. So if you have in-game money in the game, you can purchase that. But if you don't have in-game money, you can use real money to purchase the in-game money to get that prize. So a quick definition of gambling is anytime you risk something you value, money, on a chance or a risk to gain something more. So we're actually teaching kids, younger kids, how to gamble. (laughs) And just starts from there. You know, even when I do groups here, I ask people, well, how many of you got scratch-off lottery tickets in your um, birthday cards or Christmas stockings when you were young? And majority of them would raise their hands. But you know, they're like nine, ten, eleven, twelve. You know, you're supposed to be 18 in order to get a lottery. Right. So I mean, it's not faulting parents, but it's just the you know educating people now to be aware. That's
0: what we try to do. Well, it, it's so odd how it can strike some people and others not. You know, I can be in a, inside a, a gas station, convenience store, and see somebody in there playing 20 lottery tickets, and, and you can tell by the way they banter with the guy behind the cash register that they do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just look at that and I think, I'm just so glad that I don't find amusement or enjoyment out of doing something like that. You know? <laughs> but, but some people <laughs> obviously do.
1: Well, I mean, it usually starts off as entertainment because right. gambling is like the largest entertainment in the world. Right. So, but, you know, it, it's over time it becomes it change. The change process happens and you get become, you know, you need that rush. You need that feel good when you're playing and even losing.
0: But it really is a situation where, but for the grace of God, there go I with any of us, right?
1: Correct. Correct. And it's interesting, uh, you said that, is that, you know, in the Diagnostic Statistic Manual of Fifth Edition, it says that, you know, in order for recovery and addiction to happen, there must be spirituality involved in the recovery. Mm. And you think, huh? (laughs) Science and spirituality? How does that? But they say during our addiction, we've done immoral things. So that's why we would refer people to a 12-step meeting, a fellowship of people that are having the same issues in their life yeah. and, you know, it becomes, you know, it's, it, it's a, they come, they come to help for help for the change process to begin. Right. You it, know,
0: not necessarily a particular denomination of a religion, but just a, a spiritual aspect,
1: a spiritual, not religion. Correct.
0: Right. Yeah. Talking with Bruce Jones, who's the administrative coordinator for the gambling intervention program at Maryhaven Haven, you know, you touched on sports betting, you must be pretty concerned about that, I would think.
1: Well, I definitely am, and, and my colleagues are as well. I mean, it's, we're concerned about the, the new process that's going to happen that we have no idea how it's really going to work. We have There's three different types of licensure, licensures for the gambling for the state. One's going to be brick-and-mortar uh, facilities. Another license is for the apps. And what's made it even tougher, I think, is going to be the third license, which is anyone that has a liquor license can then put a a gambling kiosk machine in their store or bowling alley or grocery store or or you name it, (laughs) barbershop, (laughs) I don't know. Um, So how they're going to regulate that is uh, still a question of mine. I think the Casino Control Commission will um, regulate the A and B licenses, the brick and mortar and the apps, but the lottery will regulate the um, the other license, Type-C license. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much. <laughs> I mean, how are you going to regulate all these apps and stuff? But right. But the one promising thing is that there will be an option built in that they will have a voluntary exclusion uh, capability for these licenses just like they already do at the ho- at the casinos and racinos someone can sign themselves out voluntarily for one year five years or a lifetime from these casinos and they'll get a, uh, a letter from the casino control commission saying Hey, Bruce, you know, we we accept your application for voluntary exclusion for one, five, or a lifetime. Uh, But if you're caught on our property, you're subject to arrest for criminal trespass, and any money or tools used will be forfeited. Mm. You know, for me, that might be enough of a deterrent. But for people with addictions, you know, I've got several people that have multiple criminal trespass charges now on their record. Mm. But they're going to try to implement that to the uh, sports betting as well which I think is a, a great idea.
0: Talking with Bruce Jones from Maryhaven, Haven, uh, if uh, folks want more information about the help that can be offered or if they want to know more about, uh, you know, warning signs or any of those types of things, Bruce, how do they find out?
1: Well, they can, for us, it would be definitely easy to get onto our website at maryhaven.com uh, and go to our gambling site. Uh, we have a pretty good website with a bunch of ways you can self-test Our biographies and and other uh, stories on there but you can actually schedule in an appointment online or you can give us a call Um, our line is uh, 614-324-5413 is my direct line I'll be glad to take anybody's calls with any questions and um, it's a easy process we're pretty laid-back but we're professional and we want the best for, you know, our, our goal is that when we get people come into the office, you know, we talk with them and we can make the sell. It's it's not rocket science. You know, we can do manualized treatment programs that we have. What I found is that, you know, it's something, like I said, it's it's something else that's going on in their lives. It's keeping them going to the gambling. Uh, so we try to find out what that is and take it from there. We get the change process to move on.
0: Bruce Jones, Administrative Coordinator for the Gambling Intervention Program at Mary Haven. Thanks so much for your time today. Sure appreciate it.
1: Oh, my pleasure.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Here's the fans
3: Skip Mossick Talking golf outings, the annual second and seven outing here in Columbus is in September, but there's another one coming up in Northeast Ohio in a couple of weeks. We're joined by former Buckeye linebacker Ryan Miller, our old morning show partner here on the fan. And Ryan, for people who still not be fully aware, tell us about how you and a couple of your former teammates created the Second and Seven Foundation years ago. Well,
2: it is so funny to think about it. I mean, Skip, you and I have known each other for over 20 years, and you've seen Second and Seven from the infancy. From the very beginning. So, those of you listening, um, years ago, I actually was was at Ohio State as a student athlete, and one of the coolest things that I was able to do. And I know, you know, playing in Ohio Stadium is, is the you know pinnacle. Playing in a Rose Bowl, those things are unbelievable. Playing against Notre Dame and Michigan and all that stuff. But you know, off the field, Ohio State does a great job of keeping kids engaged in the community. And so they gave me the opportunity to, I'll never forget it, read to one of the schools. It was West Broad Elementary School. And when I walked into that school and read to those children, it really gave me a better perspective of, you know, what what kind of person I am, maybe my sphere of influence. And so I always wanted to continue to maybe have an impact and use that Woody Hayes mentality of paying it forward. So when I graduated, two of my teammates who were just as passionate about reading as I was, Mike Vrabel and Luke Fickle, we decided that we were going to continue to read to second graders, but not just read to them. We were also going to give them a book. And so in order to do that, we had to, you know, generate some some money to buy books. Um, and because we're football guys, we decided to uh, have a football camp. And you probably remember that first camp yeah. years and years ago. It was out at um, Luke's, right by Luke's hometown, um, Towers Park there in Westerville. And we had like 40 kids come up to camp, And we were able to raise enough money to buy second graders, second grade classrooms, books at seven different schools. And that's why we called it the Second and Seven Foundation, um, because it was second graders at seven schools. So me, Mike, and Luke went out and read to those seven schools, gave every kid a book. We were super excited about it, really passionate about it. And then the next year, uh, like 150 kids came to camp. Mm. And so that meant we could go to more schools. And then the next year, it continued to grow to the point where Mike at that point now, he went from Pittsburgh to New England. Luke was getting a job at Akron. I started to do stuff in the morning on the fan, and I started doing some stuff with 10 TV. So we were starting to all be busy, and we couldn't get to as many schools as we had books. So fortunately, Ohio State had their student athletes start to read to kids in the community, and um, the program just started to take off from there. Now we have universities and high schools in over 26 states about 185 different programs read to second graders in their respective communities throughout the country. And I'm proud to say in in 22 years, we've given out um, nearly a million books through the second seven foundation. So it's been a, It's been a labor of love. Former
3: Buckeye linebacker Ryan Miller, our guest this morning, and in addition to all of the other charitable events that you put on for the Second and Seven Foundation throughout the year, includes a couple of golf outings, one here in Columbus again later in September, but you have one coming up in a few weeks up in Warren. Tell us about your expansion up into Northeast Ohio.
2: Well, you know what? A few years back, uh, Coach Tretzel, he was very instrumental of getting those student-athletes that played football at Ohio State to start to read more. And it was very, you know, he always talked about paying it forward and and getting the kids in the community. And so when we started to actually, when he left and went to Youngstown State, there was a a program that he instituted called Project PASS, and PASS is an acronym for the the Penguins up there um, and their academic uh, support system up there. And so what they uh, wanted to accomplish was having students and student-athletes, Kind of mentor those second graders in the Youngstown City Schools, but he wanted Second and Seven books to be read there. So I remember we uh, we shipped a bunch of books up there and went up and visited them, and he really started to be involved. Well, as you can imagine, the other communities around Youngstown really wanted Second and Seven, uh, you know, to be a program that they could sink their teeth into. And all it takes is student athletes at the high school or collegiate level to be willing to donate their time to read to ch- the second graders in that community, and we will provide them books. So Coach Tressel kind of got some people lined up, and the next thing you know, it became, um, you know, the kind of program that we were sustaining from a lot of the activities done here in Central Ohio. And so we actually hired uh, an individual, uh, Jamie Bezbacheco, to run the programs up in Northeast Ohio. And one day she said, hey, we, we probably could do a, fundraiser up here because there's so many schools involved and so many people involved and so last year we had our first golf outing and it was sold out and it was amazing Uh, last year it was at Congress Lake which is a great course and so we we did that and uh, it was such a success that uh, she's like let's do it again this year so with all of our connections up there with all the reading programs up there we decided to make it an annual event up in northeast Ohio to have a spring golf outing this year, it's uh, Avalon Golf and Country Club is where we're having it on May 23rd. So it's right around the corner. Um, we still have a few groups available. So if people are interested in wanting to to join us, obviously Coach Tressel will be up there. Other Buckeyes that are up in that general area will be at the uh, at the outing. Uh, but you can go online to Second and Seven, all spelled out Second and Seven dot com. You'll see the events, and you go to the golf outing events, and you'll see the Northeast Golf outing. You can sign up and register there for your group. Um, But again, it's it's really been one of those things where we had this really small idea 22 years ago of just trying to do our best at being able to provide an opportunity for student-athletes to understand their leadership role in the community by reading to second-graders, and we've just stayed in that lane and kept our heart in the right place. And it's grown beyond our wildest dreams.
3: Well, Ryan, you obviously have the marketing background. Luke Fickle and Mike Vrabel are obviously still coaching. How cool is it to see their success, especially this past year? My goodness, college football and NFL coaches
2: of the year. Are you kidding me? it's, It's unbelievable. And it's funny because I remember when we all first graduated, Mike and Luke and myself and Tommy Hoyne, we coached a little seventh grade team. And I still have a picture of the four of us out there in a huddle talking to the kids. And uh, I always tell uh, people these days, well, you know, I was a part of a staff with those two uh, guys that were coaches. <laughs> 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 that were coaches of the year, but no, in all seriousness, it it reminds me of one one year I'll never forget. Luke told me when he was a young linebacker coach at Ohio State, he had a freshman player on his team in his uh, in his room as a linebacker, and he told me, you know, this kid is just such a good kid, and he's. Just, I just, you just never know if, if the kid is, you know, if a player comes into Ohio State, it's no guarantee that they're going to get a chance to see the field. It's no guarantee they're going to get a chance to have success on the field. But he said this one kid is a freshman. He does all the right things. He's just a consummate student athlete. And I wish he has, I hope he has success in his career at Ohio State. Well, that kid turned out to be James Longanitis. Hmm. He had a pretty good career. Um, but I remember that comment, and I and I use that comment a lot when I when I talk about Mike and Luke in their profession. You know, I, I, you root so hard for them to have success, not because you're a fan of the team per se, but you're a fan of the individual that does things the right way. And I just love the fact that they're being rewarded for their success on the field but I'm most proud of what they do off the field.
3: Well, Ryan, again, for people to get signed up for your golf outing here in a couple of weeks up in Northeast Ohio, or heck while you're there, get signed up for the one here in Columbus later on this year. Where should they go?
2: Best place to go is to online at 2ndand7, all spelled out, 2 dot 7com You'll see the events tab, and you can go ahead and register for either of those golf outings. And um, it's, um, trust me, you'll you'll have a great time out, out there knowing that you're supporting a great cause. Former
3: Buckeye Ryan Miller, again, it's incredible what you and Luke Fickle and Mike Vrabel have done with the Second and Seven Foundation throughout the years. All the best with your upcoming outings, okay?
4: All right. Always great talking to you, Skip. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I got to tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation, and it feels good. Wow, your
3: story is so... uh, Interesting?
5: Yeah.
4: A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV.
7: Thank you so much for joining us this morning for face the state i'm tracy townsend the ballot is next now set for november's election in the u.s senate race author jd vance won the republican nomination he has the endorsement of former president donald trump vance will face congressman tim ryan who won the democratic nomination here's what both candidates had to say after their victories jd vance
8: let me just say something about the very tough primary that we just had and it was tough um, I'm not going to pretend that it wasn't. A lot of negative ads out there. I'm sure a lot of you saw the negative ads. I'd be shocked if you, you know, hadn't turned on the TV and seen my fat head in the past 6 months. Probably probably not happy about it. But let me let me just say something about the competitors in the race, okay? Thank you. I don't I don't know who said that, but thank you. My wife likes the beer too. So that's that's a good thing. Um, but but first uh, to Matt Dolan okay Matt Dolan a um, lot of disagreements with Matt Dolan let's just let's just be honest but Matt Dolan had a very professional a very well resourced campaign one of the things I want to say about Matt is that he could have had he could have ran an ugly campaign but instead he ran a campaign about issues about substance he's been a great public servant for this country and I think our, our party was better for the campaign that Matt Dolan ran so thank you Matt
7: Congressman Tim Ryan good parents
9: born in Ohio. Opportunity to do just about anything. Um, and, we're, and we're lucky. We have a great family uh, here, like so many of you do. And that's part of the opportunity here. Our, my niece, our niece, uh, Ashley, and, and her future husband, Jake, are here. Families support each other, right? That's what we do. That's what our communities were built on, and to me, that's the backbone of Ohio, our families. And I think a lot about my grandfather. I think about my grandfather and his life and the trajectory of him and that generation of people. And my grandfather was a steelworker, worker, Tim Berger, for 40 years. And he had a good living, made a good living. And he made a good living that he didn't have to work 50 or 60 or 70 hours a week. He didn't need two jobs.
7: In the race for governor, Ohio voters will choose between current Governor Republican Mike DeWine and former Dayton Mayor Democrat Nan Whaley. She's the first woman in Ohio history to be nominated for governor.
10: This is a historic moment for the Democratic Party and for all of Ohio. And I want every little girl listening or watching to know that this is possible now I have to start with a few thank yous thank you to my husband Sam for being there with me no matter what thank you to my parents growing up my dad worked at the GM plant and my mom worked at the laundromat when he got laid off The values of hard work and resolve that they instilled in me is why I am here today. Thank you to my entire campaign team who got us here, especially my campaign manager, John Hagner. And you all, thank you to the best senator in the country, Sherrod Brown, and all of our other supporters and endorsers.
11: I am so optimistic about the future of this state. This is our time. This is our time in history. We're seeing companies come off the East Coast, come off the West Coast. They're tired of a high cost of living. They're tired of high taxes, high regulations. They're coming to Ohio. We've seen example after example after example where these companies are moving moving to Ohio. We talk a lot about Intel. We're very, very proud of Intel. Uh, when we had, this state has had no experience in making these ships Yet we were able to get intel to come to Ohio. Why do they come to Ohio? Because they know what we know. There's no better place to raise a family. There's no better place to live. There's no better place to start a business. There's no better place to grow a business than right here in the state of Ohio. This is a state that has so much going for it.
7: The candidates for governor could not be more polar opposites. 10TV's Kevin Landers examines where each one stands on the issues that matter to you. There's
11: no better place to grow a business than right here in the state of Ohio. He's a
12: 75-year-old career politician who led Ohio out of the pandemic.
10: This is a historic moment for the Democratic Party.
12: She's the first woman in Ohio history to be nominated for governor. Mike DeWine of Cedarville and Nan Whaley of Dayton live about a half hour from each other, but they are miles apart on the issues that impact the state. Abortion is the clear divider between them.
10: If we re-elect Mike DeWine... Abortion will be criminalized in Ohio, no question.
11: For 40 years, I have voted on abortion issues. I believe we have an obligation to protect the most vulnerable members of our society.
12: Gun violence is something both candidates are passionate about, but from different angles. After the mass shooting in Dayton, Whaley and DeWine came together for tougher gun control legislation. DeWine flip flopped signing into law Senate Bill 215, allowing Ohio residents 21 and older to conceal firearms they are legally allowed to own without training or permits. DeWine defended his record on crime Tuesday
11: this administration is putting $250 million into our local police departments, number one. Number two, we have already created four narcotics intelligence centers that are working to help the police solve violent crime.
12: DeWine supports legislation that would increase prison time for criminals convicted of violent crimes, and he's pushed to have outstanding warrants in Ohio entered into a national database.
11: Today, we now have 90% of them that are in the national database. That came Because of what this administration and and this governor and this lieutenant governor did. Whaley is running on an anti corruption platform and says if elected, she'll require everyone in her administration
12: to take an ethics pledge. She says decades of Republican control at the State House have led to scandal after scandal, including the largest bribery scandal in Ohio history involving First Energy and House Bill 6.
10: Four years ago, we were standing here talking about the electronic classrooms of tomorrow, yet a big donor, bad idea, sucking money out of public education. Six years ago, you had the payday lenders. Big donor, bad idea, sucking money out of, of poor communities. Over and over again, these guys don't think it's wrong. And that's why we have to change the entire system to have a complete overhaul.
12: DeWine supporters don't seem worried about the statehouse scandals of the past. In the primary, DeWine earned more votes than both of the Democrat candidates, Nan Whaley and John Cranley, combined. Kevin Landers, 10TV News.
7: Governor DeWine says since elected, he's cut taxes for Ohioans by more than $2 billion. Whaley says if elected, she will raise the minimum wage for all Ohioans to $15 an hour. There's still another primary to go in Ohio. That's because of the ongoing redistricting battle. The commission met to submit new maps to the state Supreme Court. That meeting got heated at times with people shouting at the lawmakers. 10TV's Olivia Eugenio was there.
13: The vote was 4 3, so not along party lines. Auditor Faber voted against the map, but for different reasons than the two Democrats. This is the set of maps that were approved by four Republicans, the same maps that the state Supreme Court said unfairly favored Republicans.
2: It is
11: clear to me. That it is impossible to proceed with an August 2nd primary with any map other than map three.
13: But not everyone was happy.
14: It's disappointing
13: that uh, they are so egregious in their disrespect for the rule of law and voters, but here we are. Secretary of State Frank LaRose saying.
9: August 2nd, 2022 is the latest
1: date by which Ohio can conduct a primary election.
13: So what happens if the maps are found unconstitutional again by the state Supreme Court? Federal judges decided last month if a plan is not in place by May 28th, then the third set of maps will be used. But these districts would only be in place for the 2022 election.
9: There's more work for the commission to do.
13: Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose, as well as Governor Mike DeWine, left during the recess following the vote. The governor's press secretary saying they had prior
7: commitments. At the Statehouse, Olivia Eugenio, 10TV News. Governor DeWine is facing legal action involving the first energy bribery scandal, accused of not being forthcoming. You might remember the corruption case broke back in 2020. Ohio Speaker of the House was charged with racketeering. It remains the biggest public corruption scandal in state history. Democrats claim Governor DeWine is hiding what he knew about it. I think the real question is, what are they hiding? And that is what we are trying to get accountability for. Sending
10: a redacted calendar as the governor of Ohio is absolutely beyond the pale. You are accountable to the people for what you do with your time. And so until we get clear, like real true public records disclosure from the governor's office, we're not gonna stop the the work to do that accountability for Ohio voters. And if there's nothing to hide on HB6, I don't
7: know why on earth he would send a redacted calendar out. Now, we asked the governor's office for a response. They say the Democratic Party has all the information they requested and called the lawsuit a fishing expedition in a lake that has no fish. Their statement went on to call DeWine one of the most transparent public officials in Ohio, saying if the ODP wants to argue otherwise, good luck to them because they are dead wrong. Again, that's a statement from the office of Governor Mike DeWine. Now, the leaked U.S. Supreme Court draft opinion on Roe v. Wade sparked protests and debates across the country this week. Up next, we hear from both sides in that debate and we look at what happens in Ohio if abortion is banned and the implications beyond abortion rights if the draft turns out to be the court's
0: fan.com and thanks for listening this is columbus perspective on the fan back to tracy townsend courtesy of 10 tv
7: there were protests all over the country and here in ohio over that leaked u.s supreme court draft opinion that would overturn roe v wade the rain did not stop a few dozen people from gathering to have their voices heard in columbus
15: it puts women's health care in danger everywhere. It puts women in danger. It puts our society a huge step backwards, and that's why I'm here. So I feel like I can't do nothing.
7: If Roe v. Wade is overturned, abortion rights will likely be up to each state. And some states have already instituted so-called trigger laws. Essentially, those states would allow abortion the moment Roe v. Wade is overturned. The states have that legislation on the books closest to us, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Missouri. Ohio has banned abortion after six weeks, but it does not have a so-called trigger law. Some Republicans want to change that. They've introduced House Bill 598 and Senate Bill 123. They are similar and called the Human Life Protection Act. Those pieces of legislation remain in committee. Now, in response to the draft opinion, two Democrats plan to introduce an, an amendment to guarantee reproductive freedom to all Ohioans. The proposed amendment would ensure Ohioans are able to obtain surgical and medical abortion services. These draft opinions can always change. This is not set in stone, but still, it has ignited a firestorm. Here's a look at both sides of the debate.
3: They're giving the power back to the people. They're giving the power back to Ohioans. And then all the residents of other states, too, to make their own decision. They're not telling them how to, how to live. They're not telling them which way to uh, to go on this. They're saying it's up to you.
6: That means getting child care, getting time off of work, having to travel hundreds of miles to get care. And those barriers could be insurmountable for many people.
7: And now we turn to 10TV's Brittany Bailey for a look at the impact on abortion if it's banned in Ohio.
4: got to go, hey!
6: Protesting for or against abortion is nothing new in this country, but it's certainly back front and center this week. A lot of confusion, but abortion is still
16: legal here in Ohio right now, and uh, Planned Parenthood's doors are still open.
6: For how long is the real question? Ohio is one of several states where if Roe v. Wade falls, a ban on abortion is either certain or likely. So first, we wanted to find out who's getting abortions in Ohio. For that, we pulled data from the Ohio Department Department of Health. In general, we're talking about a non-white woman in her 20s who has never been married, and she's getting the procedure in the first nine weeks. So we wrote a paper saying what would happen to patients in Ohio who needed abortion care
14: if the trigger ban passed and if Roe versus Wade were to be overturned by the Supreme Court.
6: That's Dr. Allison Norris with OSU and the Ohio Policy Evaluation Network. She recently worked on two studies showing the impact on Ohioans if abortion were to be banned.
14: For people who are poor, the hurdle of having a car, driving hundreds of miles... Um, potentially an overnight stay, child care, missing work, those can become insurmountable to people who don't have a lot of financial
6: resources. The study found that right now, people in all 88 counties in Ohio are within 99 miles of a clinic that provides abortions. If Ohio were to ban abortion, forcing patients to go to Michigan or perhaps Pennsylvania, they would have to travel seven times longer on average. If abortion is then banned in those states, that number jumps to 10 times longer. Longer.
14: So this really does become a stark inequity where people who have money will still be able to get this very ordinary, safe health care and people who don't have money will be denied that opportunity.
6: The impact would be felt mostly by those who are low income and people of color who already face greater complications in childbirth. For folks who cannot obtain an abortion,
14: there's a number of downstream consequences that are harmful for people's ability to live their best life. People who don't obtain an abortion that they need and want are more likely to live in poverty They're more likely to stay with an abusive partner. They're less likely to achieve their life goals. So in so many ways, access to abortion is a really
7: critical part of living one's best life. And again, that was Brittany Bailey reporting. The Ohio Department of Health has information that shows us how many abortions are happening in Ohio. In 2020, more than 20,000 abortions were performed in the state. But that number has been steadily declining in the past two decades. Since the year 2000, abortions have dropped each year on average by about 720. That leaked draft opinion has people asking about the implications beyond abortion rights if it turns out to be the court's final rule. Abby Lorico from our Verify team did some digging on the possibilities.
16: Abortion rights are up for discussion in the Supreme Court this term because of a challenge to restrictions in Mississippi. But it's also about the Constitution of the United States and which rights are clearly defined, which are implied and which are not protected. The Roe v. Wade decision back in 1973 came down to right to privacy, which usually rests on two things, due process rights and the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which protects the right to life, liberty and property. But this draft says the right to an abortion was wrongly considered an implied constitutional right in Roe versus Wade. So let's verify what other decisions rest on those implied rights. Our sources are Caroline Fredrickson, a Georgetown law professor, and Robert Peck, a constitutional law expert.
2: There's an
0: interesting uh, uh, philosophical uh, decision that's embodied in this opinion, and that is, you know, to what extent are rights implied by the Constitution? This opinion asserts that abortion is not one of those implied rights.
15: There are other subsequent decisions uh, dealing with um, uh, uh, equal marriage, gay marriage, um, and so forth that rest on the same foundation.
16: The idea of an implied right to privacy is the foundation of these other big decisions, like Obergefell versus Hodges, the case that legalized gay marriage, and Loving versus Virginia, the case that legalized interracial marriage, as well as Griswold versus Connecticut, which affords married couples the constitutional right to buy and use contraceptives, and Lawrence versus Texas, which made same sex sexual activity legal in 2003. As for whether those cases are at risk, it's hard to say. Justice Samuel Alito, author of the Opinion argues the abortion issue is quote critically different from any other right that this court has held to fall within the 14th Amendment's protection of liberty. But for nearly 50 years, abortion has been considered a procedure that fell under the implied rights umbrella.
5: It basically is an invitation to those who oppose those decisions to come back to the Supreme Court,
0: frame their arguments the same way that this case the opinion in this case was framed, and then uh, see if you can get the same result.
16: So while some legal analysts say Alito has addressed those other rights in this draft opinion, others are concerned this decision is like a roadmap for overturning those rights as well. The Supreme Court decides which rights are guaranteed in the Constitution, explicit or implied, which means we'll have to watch for what happens next. With your Verify, I'm Abby Larico.
7: Still ahead, the former director of the Ohio Department of Health is on the move. We're talking with Dr. Amy Acton about her next project and its impact on Ohioans. Columbus
0: Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV.
7: She was once the face of the fight against COVID-19 in our state. Then Dr. Amy Acton took a step back from the public spotlight. But now she's back and ready to lead another project. Dr. Acton will now lead a project that brings together two of her passions, health and nature. It's called Rapid Five. 10TV's Brittany Bailey talked with her to learn more about it.
17: My new title... Uh, is president and CEO of RAPID 5, which stands for Rivers and Parks Imagination Design. I do see myself as sort of a chief health strategist um, and and really an ambassador of one of the most amazing visions I, I've seen to help the health and well-being of our community. Rapid Five's
5: a vision. Uh, it's a vision for a regional park system along all five of our major stream corridors and river corridors in Central Ohio. It's a great opportunity that uh, we identified through an effort of the Urban Land Institute and Morpsey, um, and we unveiled last summer.
17: What we're looking at Is 145 miles of integrated park system. Um, This would be the largest in the country. I should say that this puts us within a mile to a mile and a half um, every person to nature. And that's profound, that can change lives. We want to make sure that every corner of our community is connected
4: to that. You can get outside, you can enjoy the views, you can get a little bit of exercise, get a little bit of nature. That's really important to quality of life. really important to being the kind of place we want to be here but the vision here is if you're you want to take your family out for the afternoon you want to walk a mile or two with your kids or ride their bikes and maybe have ice cream maybe you want to just leave your house and leave the car behind and be able to walk to a trail that's close enough
5: this will allow you to do that
17: this is a beautiful vision it is you know at heart connecting us to nature and one another
5: i was tired of us apologizing for not having an ocean we're not having mountains Um, What we do have in central Ohio are some amazing uh, stream and river corridors that are equally distributed um, across central Ohio. And um, it just seemed like that the time had come to begin to develop and celebrate those and quit apologizing for what we don't have and embrace what we do.
17: I can tell you, once I saw this, I could not unsee it. You can't imagine Columbus being anything but this, this vision of this healthy, vibrant life that we share together.
7: Rapid Five will be a nonprofit geared toward encouraging public-private partnership in growing this park and waterway system. In today's Note of Promise, we look to the future of the nearly 1,000 Columbus City School students who are going to Columbus State Community College through the Columbus Promise Program. The program will allow students to attend school for free. City Council and Superintendent Dr. Talisa Dixon announced CCS has seen 43% more students fill out that FAFSA application for financial aid. Council President Shannon Hardin says this is a huge step in getting students on their way.
1: They think that the college and training after high school isn't for them. They think it's too expensive and they will be burdened with student debt. Our young people deserve a chance to learn, earn and start a career. And Columbus is a stepping up with our partners to test the promise and give them a debt-free access and path to jobs.
7: Harden went on to say this program will allow students to transfer to the college of their choice if they want to pursue further education. We certainly thank you for joining us today. Have a great day.
0: That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. ADHD. It's the child who can't pay attention
16: or sit still in school, right? The answer may be yes. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD, can be complicated, and it can last a lifetime. Up to 75% of children and adolescents with ADHD have at least one additional mental disorder that requires a comprehensive approach to treatment. Learn more at moretoadhd.com. This message brought to you in partnership with Ada, ACO, and Chad.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James. Joining me on the phone is Dr. Julie Morita, who is the Executive Vice President of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. How are you?
15: I'm good. How are you doing?
0: Good. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us in a nutshell what the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation is.
15: Right. So the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation is the largest private philanthropy in the United States focused solely on health. And we've been in existence for almost 50 years. And our focus is really on trying to build a culture of health where everyone has a fair and just opportunity for health and well-being.
0: And one of the things the word is out, your concern, your agency's concerned about is uh, as the pandemic kind of transitions into an endemic phase, uh, you're concerned about people getting left behind.
15: Yeah, that's right. You know, I think where we and others should be concerned. That as the public health emergency ends, there are some people who remain very vulnerable and unprotected. The public health emergency was one of the primary pillars of the federal government's response to COVID 19. It really helped save lives and help many people protect themselves and their families by making pre COVID tests and vaccines available, and by increasing access to things like telehealth services. So the public health emergency allowed. Insurer required insurers to actually cover, reimburse healthcare care providers for providing telehealth services in the same way that they do for in-person visits, which really increased the use of these critical mental health and, and physical health visits that happened. And on top of it, the public health emergency allowed for continuous Medicaid coverage so that people didn't lose coverage because there were lapses in information available about their eligibility and that was really important millions of people were able to retain their coverage through this really critical
0: time there are still some states that have not taken up the federal government on expanding medicaid but have they have has all the pandemic aid covered that gap for those states that don't have the expanded medicaid when it comes to the pandemic
15: well, no the states that haven't expanded medicaid still have left some people unprotected and that is very unfortunate Some of the public health emergency measures may have allowed those folks who have been uninsured to gain access to vaccines, to testing, to treatment, but it wasn't really comprehensive health care that these folks actually benefit from. So it would be wonderful. What would be even better is if these 12 states that haven't expanded Medicaid really did expand Medicaid so that all that are really eligible could get covered and get the care that they really need.
0: Is there a wealth of information now about, you know, the the outcomes of Medicaid patients under expanded states and not expanded states, or is that going to be growing evidence over the years of what the difference is between the two?
15: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really we know that having access to health care services improves people's health and well-being, and so that information is available. We know that there are costs associated with the expansion of Medicaid, and yet what we're talking about is just basic needs, basic health care needs that are being met when Medicaid is expanded. There's groups like pregnant women in particular who are able to access longer postpartum care than they would ordinarily have done because of the public health emergency. And so those kinds of we should we need to learn from those experiences that we've had during the pandemic. And the federal government really needs to move forward with strengthening these programs.
0: Talking with Dr. Julie Morita, she's the executive vice president, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. The vaccines, they've been free for everybody to this point. But there's such a mishmash of people who are eligible for, for a booster and those who are not, and the supply might become an issue down the line. Uh, it just seems like it's going to get more complicated as time goes on.
15: Right. I mean, I think we're already seeing some of the effects of not renewed federal support for the vaccination program because the vaccines themselves are, are free and at no cost in to individuals. There were federal funds that were available that helped cover the cost of the vaccine administration for uninsured people, but that funding has dried up. And so those folks that have not been vaccinated who are uninsured might have to pay for the cost of administration of the vaccine, and that could be a barrier. And we know who that impacts the most, low-income communities, people of color, disability communities as well, will be hit hardest by these kinds of uh, protections that are lost.
0: What is the cost of a vaccine if you're not covered? If you have to pay for it,
15: it depends from place to place, but it can be close, you know twenty to forty dollars for the cost of the vaccine administration. So before people, if you are uninsured, it'd be appropriate, important to check out to see if there are costs for administration of the vaccine before seeking it. We know that these vaccines are highly effective and really do work to keep people safe. And so, if people haven't been vaccinated, they really do need to seek it out. And there still are some places who are administering vaccines for free with no charge or or cost for the cost of administration. but they're not as abundant as they were previously.
0: Is that something that you could see maybe, uh, you know, more private employers or states uh, starting to foot the bill on some of
15: that? That's what's happening is where the the federal funds have dried up either – Organizations like federally qualified health centers or community health centers are stepping in just to cover the costs themselves or state or local funds are being used to support that kind of administration.
0: Uh, Your agency obviously is in in tune a lot with health care coverage and also just the health care welfare of uh, Americans in general. Are you confident that we are passing from the pandemic phase to endemic?
15: I wish I I could tell you that. I wish I could predict the future. I think it's really hard to know exactly um, where we are with this pandemic. What gives me hope is that the cases remain low. What gives me cause for concern is that the numbers are rising. And though our hospitalizations and deaths are low, we still are seeing more people getting sick. So I think we still need to keep our eye out on what's happening and monitoring these activities while hospitalizations and deaths.
0: Dr. Morita, if folks want more information uh, about your agency and, and things that you're concerned about, where can they find it?
15: Right. If people are interested in learning more about the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, they can go to rwjs.org.
0: Great. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Take care.